Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I am literally recording this from my dad's closet because it's the quietest space in the house. And very soon after recording this, Nate and I will be moving into our new place. I'm so excited for that. And in my new office at our place, I will make sure that I have a podcast area all set up. But now I am officially recording live from a closet. So just wanted you to know that (laughs) that's where I'm where I'm at right now. And welcome back to this part two of a two-part series. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, episode number 42 yet, please be sure to check that out before you continue listening to this episode because there is some background context from that episode that will be helpful for you in today's episode. And that was really part one of the conversation. Uh, What we were discussing is how perfectionism, perfect moment syndrome, and high expectations can play into how we we are showing up in our relationships and they can really do a number on us, quite frankly. It's something I've noticed in my own life. It's something I've noticed in my client's life. And if we expect perfection out of ourselves, our partners or our relationships, it's going to have such a massive effect on the little ways each and every day that we are feeling about our relationship, the ways that we're showing up, the patterns and so on. So going to explore a little bit more of that in today's episode. The first part was kind of setting the stage for how this happens, what perfectionism is, what perfect moment syndrome is, and how our expectations play into our general happiness. And then today, I'm going to be going over seven different ways that we can reduce or change our relationship to perfectionism, perfect moment syndrome, and perfectionist or high expectations in our relationships so that we actually have a shot at enjoying them more. Imagine that. So let's just get right into it. The first one that I'm going to share, step number one, or rather just one of the ways that we can show up and change our relationship to perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome is simply noticing when these things are showing up in our relationship and life and noticing the effects that it's having. So at the end of last week's episode, I gave you an invitation to just simply notice when perfectionism or perfect moment syndrome or high expectations were showing up in your life in relationship. So that was intentional of me because the first step to growing or changing or shifting any sort of pattern that we have is becoming aware of what the thing is that we're trying to grow or shift in the first place. If we don't even realize how this is showing up in the day to day, like if we can kind of acknowledge, oh, yeah, like I know I do that, but we don't actually notice when we do it or we don't actually catch ourselves when it's happening, then it's going to be really hard to actually shift the pattern. So maybe you've heard people say before, like step one is awareness or step one is starting to understand what's going on. And that's why. Now, when we are noticing what's going on, that doesn't mean judging ourselves for it. It doesn't mean, oh, I did that thing again. I can't believe I did that thing again. I'm so stupid for doing that thing again. 
It's, oof, I noticed where perfectionism just showed up. It's saying, oof, I think my high expectations of exactly how that moment needed to look may have thrown off how I'm now feeling about what happened. So just starting to get curious, starting to like simply build more self-awareness within yourself and your own habits or patterns. All right. Now, here's the second way to change our relationship to perfectionism, perfect moment syndrome, and high expectations. And that is coming up with a meaningful why to grow or change. So what is your why? Why is it important to you that you change your relationship to perfectionism? Why is it important to you to not put yourself in the place to perpetually have perfect moment syndrome show up? Why is it important to you to not set unrealistic, perfectionistic expectations of other people that they may not be able to meet? Now, this isn't me talking about not having any standards. I mentioned that plenty of times in the last episode, but this is when you have such specific, I need this, I need that from other people or from an experience. And it's very, very specific things. And most of them being things that are kind of out of your control. So this second point is why would it be important for you to shift this behavior? Most humans do not change something unless it's either really inspiring for them to change, like they are moving towards a goal that has more pleasure involved or there will be more pleasure in their life if they change something, or on the flip side, unless something is really painful to them. So Unless you feel like you're moving toward a really, really pleasurable goal or moving away from a really, really painful goal, it may be hard for you to change. And this is the same for me too. Now, here's where this comes into play with the conversation of perfectionism. If the pain of staying the same, so continuing with the perfectionist expectations or moments of perfect moment syndrome, if that pain becomes bigger than the pain of changing the patterns, there will be motivation to do so. So that means that you may want to spend some time being like, how is this impacting my relationship? How is this impacting my life? And thinking about what would be the potential benefits of me showing up in a different way in my relationship? How might that help me if I change this pattern? Alternately, you could explore what is the cost down the line. Like I already am kind of seeing some of the negative consequences of this perfectionism in my relationship and in my life. But if that keeps happening or potentially even grows, then what would you potentially miss out on or what would potentially happen? So an example could be like, for me, I've thought about this before. If I keep showing up with perfectionist expectations of Nate for everything, then I'm probably going to miss out on a lot of fulfillment and moments of connection and moments of appreciation in my relationship. And maybe even Nate will start to just feel criticized and start to feel like nothing he does is ever good enough for me. So I don't say these things to scare you or make you feel bad about the consequences. It's more just an exercise like, hmm, what could happen if I maybe changed how I show up in my relationship in a way that's less perfectionism driven? Also, what might happen if I continue with this pattern? And it's a really helpful thought exercise to help you project into the future of like, how might this happen? Okay, now that leads to my third point, which is practicing swapping perfectionism with self-compassion and compassion for others. So self-compassion is something that I have really, really been practicing these last few years. I'm still not 
I would say, an expert at it. And that's okay. That's part of the process. And I don't necessarily have the goal to be an expert at it. It's more so something that I choose to continually practice. But Kristen Neff is a self-compassion expert, so to speak. And she has a TED Talk on it that I highly recommend watching. And she talks about how there's three elements of self-compassion. The first is self-kindness. So that's being warm or understanding towards yourself when you suffer, fail, or feel inadequate instead of criticizing yourself. This is so important. And that could sound something like, it's okay that maybe you said that thing that wasn't in the nicest tone. I know that you didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. Now, it doesn't excuse necessarily something you may have to take accountability for, but being kind to yourself instead of saying, oh, I can't believe you did that makes a difference. Second piece of self-compassion is common humanity. So just knowing that pretty much everything that you do is part of being human. It's not just you. So I'm not the only one that has doubts about my relationship. I see that Sarah has over 100,000 people on Instagram who relate to her message. Like, I can't possibly be the only one. I can't possibly be the only one listening to this episode right now thinking about the ways that perfectionism is affecting my relationship just remembering that you are human. So that's the second pillar. And then the third pillar of self-compassion is mindfulness. So taking a balanced approach to negative emotions and feelings, not necessarily exaggerating them as like, this is a huge thing when maybe it's just a micro moment, but also not suppressing your feelings either. When something actually does feel important to you, like acknowledging it and being like, yes, this is how I feel right now. So these three pillars of self-compassion can also then be extended to other people in our life, such as our partner, our friends, our family. So the same kindness that we give ourselves, we can give to other people. The same way that we are human just like others, we can extend that to our partners, to our friends, our family, and remember that they are just human. And then we can take a mindful approach to the situations that we find ourselves in. So, all right, this is what it is. This is what happened. And when we shift from the perfectionism mindset, which says, oh, this has to be a certain way, otherwise I can't be happy, or this has to look like this, this has to feel like this, to a place of more compassion, which is I'm human, my partner is human, and our relationship is made up of two imperfect humans and like really, really actually believe that to be true, then so much growth can happen and so much less self-judgment and so much less so much less judgment of our partners will happen. Now, this can take practice. Self-compassion is a practice. Compassion for our partner is a practice. It's not always going to feel natural, and that's okay. But that's when it's still important to give yourself compassion for not being compassionate. And I know it's, I'm going to keep saying this word like a bajillion times, compassion, 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 but self-compassion is always something that you can do, even if you feel like you're not being compassionate enough. It's like, all right, I'm still practicing. It's still something I'm learning. That would be an example of how you can bring yourself compassion, even when you feel like you've missed the mark on something. This is not about getting self-compassion perfectly. It's just about showing up and continuing to try. So I think that this point of self-compassion is such an important one because when this really sticks, then perfectionism doesn't have as much legs to stand on anymore because we realize that we don't have to measure up to this ideal standard. The last thing I'll say on this is a piece of self-compassion is kind of just knowing that both ourselves and other people pretty much at all times are doing the best they can do. Now, this doesn't always mean someone's best is good enough, and it doesn't always mean that our best is good enough, but we can always say that we have tried our best. And I think that 
you know, we still have to have our boundaries of like what we will or will not tolerate in a relationship. However, instead of being surprised when imperfect humans act imperfectly, if we can just have compassion for ourselves and others and say, I know people are doing their best and come from that place, it's such a different energy than, oh, I can't believe this person did this. I can't believe this person did that. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did that. Moving on to the fourth way to change our relationship with perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome. And that is cultivating new and helpful beliefs that poke holes in perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome. What do I mean by poking holes in our beliefs? So if you listened to the last episode, I shared some things that I thought were very interesting about what perfectionism is and what perfectionism is not. So I used to believe, and I think many of us have believed before, that perfectionism was always trying to be better, always trying to grow and improve and be our best selves. But as I shared, perfectionism is actually much more about what other people think of you than it is about what you think of you. It's about trying to earn other people's approval. And so once I learned that from reading more about perfectionism and from studying Brene Brown's work on this, I was poking holes in my old beliefs about perfectionism. I realized something new about it. And so as you listen to this podcast or as you see information, as you learn more about the world, you have the option to change your mind. Changing your mind is not a bad thing at all. It's actually a really cool thing. And it shows that by being exposed to new ideas, you have now a new way of seeing something that you hadn't before. So that's what I mean by poking holes in the beliefs about perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome and realizing like, hmm, maybe perfectionism or thinking that all moments need to be perfect isn't helping me. So let me think of other ways or let me try and learn other things that I could think or other ways that I could show up that may actually be more helpful. So here are some new beliefs that I have found helpful instead of buying into the notion that I have to be perfect and that my partner needs to be perfect and that every moment needs to be perfect. Take what works for you and leave the rest not all of these beliefs you have to adopt right away. But as you're listening to this, maybe some of them will really click with you and then you can remind yourself of these things until it becomes more second nature. So the first belief that I had to really get on board with in order for me to not feel so driven by perfectionism is that not everything is supposed to, quote, work out how we think it should, quote. So I think, you know, I don't know why, like I feel almost a little bit, and this is not a judgment um, towards anyone listening to this, if you've ever thought this too, but sometimes I like laugh at myself and how unintentionally entitled I can be. Like if I think that the weather should be nice for an event that I have, it's like, yeah, that would be great. That would be wonderful. But like getting mad at the weather when it doesn't go according to what I thought it would be for that day. It's like, really? Like, I can't control the whole universe and the weather that ended up coming out in this exact moment. And I think that's just one small example. But I think how often do we do this, right? It's like, oh, I thought that this vacation moment was going to be magical because that's how I envisioned it. 
or I thought that this would feel easier. I thought that this was how it was supposed to be. And so that's how it should be. It's like, can we hold space for the fact that not everything is actually working out all the time? Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't redirect us to something or that like we still can't enjoy a rainy day when we thought it was going to be sunny. But reminding ourselves that like, we don't have to have everything play out like the movie in our head, (laughs) which leads me to the next point, which is like the perfect movie that's playing in our head is not exactly the same movie that other people see in their head. And it's really important to remember that. So if we thought, well, I wanted my birthday party to look exactly like this, someone as a guest of your party or if your partner planned the party or whatever, they could have a slightly different interpretation of what they thought the day or the party should look like. And so it's important to realize that unless we have a very open, transparent conversation about something with other people in our life, it's really hard to know if other people are expecting the same things that we are. And even if we do verbally communicate something, it can still be hard because the way that someone perceives what we're telling them can also be slightly different, even though we're telling them in specific words. So it's just worth mentioning that like we all have our own little narrative in our head about something. And it's important to remember, especially for those of us who tend to lean towards perfectionism, that everyone's story is going to look slightly different and everyone's version of what events should happen should look slightly different in their heads because we're all unique and we're all human. So just remembering that I think is a really important way, especially to combat perfect moment syndrome. Another thing that I've had to shift my beliefs on is a really important reminder that life is not only about shiny or good feelings. It's about making space for the full range of feelings. And also it's okay to feel multiple feelings about the same event. So to bring back the perfect moment syndrome quote that I quoted in the last episode from Sarah Wilson, she talks about how perfect moment syndrome is expecting a birthday dinner to be perfect, a holiday vacation to be relaxing, um, a date with your partner to be very close and intimate, right? So that would be an example of how we are just expecting shiny or good feelings and not making space for other feelings that could be present at those events. So for example, birthdays, they can of course be very happy, but they can also bring up some feelings of disappointment or sadness, fear of aging, missing loved ones who used to be at birthdays, whatever it is. So if we just looked at a birthday and we only made space for the positive feelings, imagine how upsetting it would be if those other feelings arrived on that day. Similarly with a week in Thailand, it can be relaxing, of course, but there also may be moments of stress or confusion trying to navigate a new city or maybe anxiety because once you slowed down on your vacation and you stopped your go, 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 there were some thoughts that popped up because your brain was a little bit more still and relaxed. Now, again, those thoughts don't have to mean anything specifically, but I know that sometimes it can be hard to be just sitting still and doing nothing, even though we anticipate that a vacation should, quote, quote, be relaxing. So just really kind of thinking about this full range of feelings and making space for them. The final example would be that a date with your partner at a restaurant can be something that brings you closer together. It can be a very intimate and cozy night. And there can also be mundane or dull moments where you're just kind of staring at each other or looking around at other people in the restaurant without having something to say. Now, does that make the date automatically horrible? 
some people listening might say, yes, I don't ever want to have those mundane or dull moments. But to me, in order to reduce my perfectionism and the way that it was showing up in my relationship, I found it was much more helpful to make space for a mix of experiences and feelings in the date nights, in the vacations, in the birthdays. So just knowing that all these new beliefs could take time to sink in. It could take practice. It could take reminding yourself of them. And you don't have to adopt these exact beliefs. But if you notice that your beliefs about the world and how things should be are causing you to constantly feel disappointed and anxious, maybe it's an invitation to explore the beliefs that you have instead of being like, well, the world needs to change. The world should change for me. Maybe there's a chance to change your beliefs for the world. Just a thought. See what resonates with you from that. Next, number five, the fifth way to shift perfectionism or shift the high expectations we have is to practice moving away from comparing other people's perfect moments on social media, which only show a small window into their relationship and life. And instead, what we can do is focus on small actions that are in our control within our relationship or life. So what always happens, at least for me, and I still get stuck in these comparisons. Please know I'm human. I'm not I'm not uh, speaking from this place of being so great at avoiding all comparisons, but I'm very intentional about knowing when I'm doing this and pausing it. When we're scrolling on people's pages, it's a very, very passive thing. We're just kind of like taking in information from their page and we're making assumptions about it based on like one reel or one photo. And then usually, I can speak from experience, but I'm sure you can relate, we probably end up feeling crappy about it if we're in a place of comparison from like, oh, I wish my life was more like that. Um, Sometimes we can be inspired by other people and that's not really what I'm talking about here. But when we're just kind of sitting and taking in information and feeling like, oh, like their life seems so perfect, my life doesn't, or their relationship seems so perfect, my life doesn't, we have to remember that someone else's relationship is not in our control. It's not in our control and we don't even know if we're making the correct assumption about how their relationship is in real life. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's relationship sucks and that they're only showing positive things like to fake you out. No, no. I think that there are so many beautiful relationships out there and so many wonderful things that people are sharing about. And I hope people have an amazing vacation. I hope people are having a fun date night. I hope people can dance in the ring with their partner, whatever it is. But I also just know that even as an account that talks about anxiety publicly, I'm not posting all of the things that happen in me and Nate's relationship. And so if that's me when I'm talking about like anxiety in relationships as a whole on my page, can you imagine if someone has never publicly opened up about a hardship in their relationship? Like I just, it, the, the gap between what they're posting and what is going on could be so vast that we just have simply no idea. So just remembering that the comparison to others, that isn't in our control. What is in our control is taking small actions towards the relationship and life that we want to create. And I think that's really important to remember because sometimes anxiety can be just so like up in the clouds and we're just feeling like we're constantly like in this ping pong match in our head and it feels very powerless, like, ah, like I just can't stop my brain right now. What I have found 
is a helpful way to get out of feeling helpless is to take small steps towards some sort of goal or some sort of reconnection with myself or Nate. Next time you find yourself comparing, I want you to do something that's actually tangible to pause the comparison and then to reconnect with yourself or your partner. For example, you're scrolling past a couple and they seem so affectionate, so lovey-dovey. Oh my gosh, they're so great. I could never be like them. Pause the scroll, like put your phone down, put it in another room, and then go hug your partner and tell them that you're grateful for them. Or, you know, just do something that helps you reconnect to you even, like going out for a walk, getting some fresh air, giving yourself a hug. I don't know what it needs to be. But instead of saying that couple seems so happy and perfect, like I could never be like that, that's such a passive thing and you're not actually doing anything about it. Whereas that couple is clearly taking steps to go hug their partner, go say something um, lovey and really nurture their relationship. So instead of kind of like trying to be them, try to be the best version of what you want your relationship to look like. And it doesn't have to look like theirs at all. And this one is easier to do than others on some days. I just want to acknowledge that. But the more time you're wishing your relationship was like someone else's, the less time you're actually creating the relationship you want. So keeping that in mind. Number six, the way to shift your relationship to perfectionism and your high expectations or perfect moment syndrome is to make a conscious effort and practice looking for what is good enough, looking for what is working, looking for what you do appreciate instead of the opposite, which is this constant need to like kind of be scanning and analyzing for what isn't good enough, what isn't perfect, what isn't up to expectation. And it is a practice. This is not something that your brain is probably going to feel is natural right away, especially if you've conditioned it to look for what's negative. And when I say you've conditioned it, I don't mean that like you intentionally conditioned it. There is something called negativity bias and humans are wired for protection and safety. And then not only do we have negativity bias to kind of look for what isn't working, but we also have confirmation bias, which is looking to confirm what we already believe is true. So if you are looking to confirm the ways that your partner is not enough, you're going to find them. But if you're looking for the ways that your partner is enough or that your relationship can work out, you're probably going to find those things too. And so I can give a really personal example of something that just popped up up recently. So um, what day is it now? <laughs> At the time of recording this, my birthday was a little over a month ago. And Nate gave me a very, 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 very thoughtful birthday present. So he gave me a You Love and You Learn uh, sweatshirt, my first merch. It was really cute, really cozy, fuzzy. Um, I really like it. And he also gave me some You Love and You Learn t-shirts. Um, so that was really fun. And I was like so grateful for it and really, really loved that piece of the gift. And also, Nate knows that I love a good handwritten card. He knows that about me. And he's written me many nice handwritten cards in the day. But for whatever reason, he just didn't have time to get one. And I understand why he couldn't do it because... He didn't necessarily even have a car at the time. <laughs> so there's there's all these reasons why he couldn't do it. And I and I understood the reasons. But then my perfect moment syndrome came out and I was like, well, if he really wanted to go get a card, he would have put in the effort. And I initially had this moment of loving the gift, but feeling disappointed that he didn't give me a card. And then I realized that I felt like my perfectionist was really interrupting a beautiful moment of Nate being so thoughtful, thinking of something that I would love and like 
he was still just as thoughtful to get me a wonderful gift. And he spent a lot of time on it. There was a lot of coordination. And it was like a lot of work behind the scenes that I didn't really realize in the moment where I initially was disappointed about not getting this card. So if I was pausing and regrouping and thinking about it, which I did do within a few hours of that happening, and also the next day I kind of like replayed it in my head and thought about a different way to think about it, which was that instead of focusing on the card not being there, which felt unhelpful, it didn't feel like it was going anywhere because it already happened, like it, the card wasn't there. What I did feel was a lot more helpful was to think of Nate's thoughtfulness, his attention to detail, and the time, energy, and finances that it took for this gift that he did get me. And so I think that most of us can usually relate that in a situation where we're like, oh, this wasn't good enough or this wasn't exactly what I expected, usually in that moment, there's something that was working or something that did happen that we're usually overlooking and that we're not paying attention to. And I'm not saying again that like we are just going to accept any sort of thing and like never have any sort of desires or needs. But in this case, it didn't feel good for me and Nate's relationship to be stuck in that place of disappointment. And I allowed myself to feel it for a little bit, but then I realized this isn't helpful. If I really want to, I can go back and read any of his dozen cards that he's written dozens rather over the years that we've been together. So this doesn't mean that you steamroll over disappointment in the moment. It doesn't mean that you judge yourself if there is a moment of disappointment that came up. But I think it's okay to still acknowledge like, a moment of disappointment, but then redirecting something in the future in that moment that feels more helpful. So redirecting your attention and your focus towards something that does feel more helpful in the relationship. All right. So last point here of ways to change the dynamic of perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome is that if these things happen, if you notice your inner perfectionist coming out, if you notice that you just had a perfect moment syndrome episode of like, this should have been this way and I'm disappointed. If you notice that your high expectations took over and led to you feeling like something wasn't good enough, then giving yourself permission to brush it off and move forward instead of getting stuck in a shame spiral of, I should know better. This shouldn't have happened. I suck. I'm the worst. And I'm hoping by now that you're on board with this idea of self-compassion, which means not being so hard on yourself when these things come up. And it's really, really important that I reiterate that and give you the permission that not only can you practice self-compassion, but you can practice kind of like letting things go and moving forward. Because I think that, you know, sometimes... When you listen to podcasts, if you're the type of person that likes to learn, you're the type of person that likes to grow, you can hear these things and they can click, but then you don't realize like, oh yeah, I still have to practice this. Or it's okay that maybe there's going to be more moments of perfectionism coming out in my relationship and I know that it's going to take some time. And I, instead of like really harping on this, I'm allowed to just be like, yep, that happened. I don't have to give myself a ding for it. I can just have the moment and then keep it going. It's not all going to change overnight and that's okay. So just really, again, this final reminder is a permission slip to just be gentle with yourself. If a moment like this comes up, take some deep breaths, give yourself some space, go get some fresh air, spend some time like doing something that you feel connects you back to yourself, do something enjoyable, do something fun, reset intentions to practice all those other steps that we just covered and then move on. Give yourself that permission. And 
I'll say here, practice makes progress. So practice doesn't make perfect. I don't like that expression anymore because I still think it's inspiring us to go towards perfectionism versus practice makes progress. You'll make progress bit by bit over time. So keep practicing, keep showing up for yourself from a place of love and you will see the changes. So to quickly recap, here are the seven different ways to reduce and change your relationship to perfectionism, perfect moment syndrome, and high expectations. One, noticing when these patterns are showing up and noticing the effects that they're having on your life and relationship. Number two, coming up with a meaningful why to grow or change the patterns of perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome in your life and relationship. Number three, practice swapping perfectionism with self-compassion and compassion for others. Number four, cultivate new helpful beliefs that poke holes in perfectionism and perfect moment syndrome. Number five, practice shifting away from comparison to other people's perfect moments and focus instead on small actions that are in your control to help build the relationship and life that you want. Number six, instead of looking for what isn't working, what isn't perfect, what's not good enough, switching to what is working, what is good enough, and what you appreciate about your partner and your life. And then lastly, but not least, a quick reminder of what we just covered, which is to brush off moments of perfectionism or perfect moment syndrome if they do happen. Instead of getting stuck in the shame spiral of I should know better and this shouldn't have happened. Thank you so much for listening. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I think that it's something that I can just promise you that you are in good company with. Again, it's something that I am working on myself from a place of more kindness and love. I used to judge myself a lot for these patterns, but I am now showing up from a much more loving and compassionate place to focus on this. And it's something that is such a common theme, whether it's in group coaching, private coaching, any of my online community members, I can assure you that you are not alone when it comes to feeling like perfectionism affects your life and relationship. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the You Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message and it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media and the more ratings and reviews that are there the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.